Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. He's not the messiah, he's just a very naughty boy! Good evening, and welcome to television. G'day! Hey! Hello! Oh, hey! Hey! Hello there. I'm a Philip Hunting. And I'm a Wayne Stellini. And welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Wayne, what have you been watching since last podcast? Well, I went for some big budget, B-grade charm <laughs> since the last time I saw you. I watched Kong Skull Island. Ah! Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm a huge King Kong fan. Love the films. Saw the stage show when it was on. And this is another entry into that mythology. It was a lot of fun. Dumb question. Is that the one with Jack Black? Or if I'm thinking of a different movie? Oh, no. you you are No, no. You are thinking of King Kong. But that was the one you're thinking of mm-hmm. was made by Peter Jackson. Aha. Uh-huh, yes. Yeah. So this Kong Skull Island is a part of a new monster verse. Ooh. Yeah, so they released an awful Godzilla movie. <laughs> and oh, that was the one with um, Walter White. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Cranston, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, he was good. Everything else was just horrendous yes. about that film. This is the second film in that franchise. But what's great about Kong Skull Island is it doesn't rely on Godzilla to be a good film. It oh, stands nice. It stands alone, nice. as the king does. It's funny you should say about the Godzilla movie, um, because I actually recently stumbled on a video from Cracked, I think it was, uh, that talks about how to make that Godzilla movie a good movie because they determined that this movie is only about 46% good yes. <laughs> and to make it something like 98% good or whatever. Essentially, they their thing was don't kill off the main protagonist that you see at the start, the father. Brian Cranston's character. Have it actually the son who we're introduced to later yes. uh, killed off. Yeah. So we have this one main protagonist from start to finish. Well, I see what they were doing there. It's almost like a Hitchcock psycho thing where you're introduced to a red herring. You think you're following one person and it goes down somewhere else. My thing about that Godzilla movie, which I'm trying to forget because it really is one of the most horrendous (laughs) monster movies I have ever seen. Hot tip, if you're going to make a movie about Godzilla... Probably show Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like Jaws where you were introducing a monster so you could afford to hold back. This monster's been around for quite a few decades. We know what he looks like. You are allowed to show him. That was just my idea. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because to bring it back to King Kong, yeah. Tripod actually made a song <laughs> about Peter Jackson's King, King Kong, Kong yeah. called Get to the Fucking Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what, Philip? <laughs> I will watch Peter Jackson's King Kong any day over a lot nice, of Godzilla nice. movies. I am a fan of that one. You're right. It does run for three hours. <laughs> but that ape is so charming. The ape uh, is especially so Especially in that nice. one. He's played by Andy Sokas, who's just a genius in everything he does. Nice. But Kong Skull Island, get on it, Fred fans. So, Philip, what have you been watching since our last podcast? Well, in light of the uh, current podcast, I've been catching up on some Python. Hey, so you, you, are, you are the expert then. You're gonna I have, am the expert. You're going to guide me through everything. Yes. So, what's today's film? Today, we are reviewing 2011's Holy Flying Circus. Tell us about it, Janet. <laughs> Holy Flying Circus is a comedy written by Tony Roche and directed by Owen Harris. 
It is a Python-esque dramatization of events following the completion of Monty Python's Life of Brian and culminates in the now famous 1979 televised debate that accompanied the film's British release, where John Cleese and Michael Palin versed Malcolm Muggeridge and Mervyn Stockwood on the BBC2 chat show Friday night, Saturday morning. Wayne, what are your gut reactions? Well, this one was an interesting film to go into. So I have seen Life of Brian and I enjoyed it a lot. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I still have quite fond memories of it. I'm not quite at the stage that you are, Philip, where I can quote it at nauseum (laughs) from top to bottom, but I love the Python boys for what they do. I think they're clever comedians, they're very talented and have seen some of their other things. Um, Big fan of Faulty Towers, as you know, Mm, for example. mm. So I did come into this with quite a bit of interest and you showed me the debate or a portion of the debate to help put it in context. And that was really good. That helped me understand what this film was about. I found that this film was almost in between a documentary and a dramatisation. It didn't work for me on the level of a documentary, though, because it is so clearly one-sided and biased. And that's okay. Some documentaries are. Yeah. Hello, Michael Moore. But, (laughs) you know, I think in terms of capturing a moment of cinema history, a standpoint in culture, Mm. that really interested me. I loved the portrayals of John Cleese and Michael Palin. So they were played by Darren Boyd and Charles Edwards. I thought they were absolutely spot mm-hmm. on. They looked mm-hmm. fantastic, didn't they? Yeah. And got oh, the, yeah. those characterizations done so beautifully. But I have to say, in terms of what I liked about the film, that's where it actually ended for me. Oh, wow. Cool. Yes, I didn't find the film as a success at all. I'm watching it thinking, this is such a fascinating moment because it talks about censorship. It talks about society's changing views and how we relate to religion and self-expression. All of these really fascinating and interesting things. Where do we draw the line with self-censorship? How much can we critique religion? Were Monty Python's intentions really what they say they are? Mm. I don't particularly believe them, but that's okay. You know, I think they set out to make a fun movie that did poke fun at a major religion. And we've seen Life of Brian. We know it's a successful poke of fun and it's a very entertaining film. Yeah. I think that the filmmakers here tried too hard to make it Python-esque. Yep. And so for me, the film has one major flaw. It is not funny. <laughs> and that's a problem for me. So yep. I would have actually preferred, because they're interested in, t- in this aspect. You know, they're clearly fans of Monty Python mm. and really wanted to explore this. Make a documentary. Yeah. Actually delve yeah. into it. Make a documentary. I felt like this was an hour and a half. This story could have had a lot of insight, a lot of depth, a lot of discussion in an hour and have actually been a lot more successful. But that's where I sat on it. So, Philip, bringing it to me. How about you? What were your thoughts? So, I actually enjoy these sort of mockumentary style things, these dramatized documentaries. However, I do have to agree with you that this one was a bit of a piss take. Mm. They were trying very hard to capture that Monty Python essence, but in doing so, I think they actually parodied it. One of the things that really stood out to me this time around was, I've actually seen this now three times. Okay. The first two times I really enjoyed it, but this time I actually found myself not enjoying it as much. Were you getting my negative energy? (laughs) No, and you know what? Yeah. I found that it was actually at the point 
that they go into the debate yeah. and they drop a bit of that Python-esque. They drop a bit of that trying to be funny and they showed us what was happening. Yeah. That's when I started to really enjoy it. And I realized I didn't remember most of the stuff. When I'm sitting down watching it, I'm going, I don't remember this happening. I don't yeah. remember this. I don't remember this. I remember a bit of this, so I know that this is the movie I want. But <laughs> I don't remember this. And I realized it's because, like you, I actually, first viewing it, didn't find it funny. Yeah. I found it, bits of it funny, enough for me to go, oh, that was funny. Yeah. Because, again, I do think I've got a bit more of that Python-esque. The fact that all a lot of the women are played by the men. Yes. It's a reference back to Python. That's right. I love that with Michael Palin's wife, for example. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. A lot of these sort of, there are a lot of harkens backs for Python fans to go, ooh, that, ooh, yeah. that. But you're very right. It actually, it was a try hard. It was trying too hard to be Python to say, hey, guys, look at us. We're playing Pythons. I think some of the jokes actually just got stretched out for far too long. It was like, oh, here's a gag. Let's keep pushing it. Yeah. And just taken too far, I think. Yeah, like, definitely. Like even that whole, you know, oh, you know, gotten somebody's feces in a box or whatever. Yeah. And that yeah. discussion just went on forever. It went on forever. It was far too much. Yeah. I also felt, ironically, that the offense levels were too high. Now, this is a telemovie about controversy and offence. Yeah. The Pythons are all about... And I've listened to John Cleese's uh, audiobook. Right. And he talks about how he doesn't believe there should ever be a point of offence. Okay. You should never go into something thinking, can't say that, we're going to offend someone. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that's what you present at the end of the day, but you need to go into your writing, your day one, your first draft with... Mm. What can I do? Yes, because you can't always control what people will find offensive. Exactly. You might have an idea, this may not go down well. Exactly. But if you go into it saying, ooh, how many people, how many groups of people can I offend today? I think you're starting on the wrong foot. And this is the difference. If I've interpreted, and look, end of day, if John Cleese was listening to this and... Uh, <laughs> We'd gush if he was listening gush. to this, yes. But if I'm in misinterpreting what he's said, I do apologise. But my interpretation of what he said is yeah. that you should never go in thinking, oh, I might offend someone, better not say that. That's right. But on the other hand, you don't do something purely to offend. Absolutely. You do things to question which... I do believe the Python boys came in, most of them came up with a, a Catholic or a very heavy Protestant background. Right, they have Christian backgrounds. Christian backgrounds. Yes. And a lot of them were questioning and fighting that. Yes. Um, and so I do believe Life of Brian for them was an exercise in, like they say in their debates, hmm. not, you know, oh, Christianity's stupid. I mean, in the full debate at one point, John Cleese even turns around and says, I think Jesus Christ is one of the greatest human beings ever to have lived. Yeah. Why would I mock that? Yeah. They are mocking. And I think for him, John Cleese specifically, very specifically, because it was close to him in the writing, they are mocking organized religion. Yes. They are saying, why should you listen to this like sheeple? Why should you unquestioningly obey what is said? Yeah. I don't think this documentary, Third Time is Not the Charm. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they got that. No, I agree. And I think, you know, Philip, like we can take it if we're going a bit more on a personal level, because you and I are both Christians, mm. and you and I 
question, critique, oh, yeah. analyze, pull to pieces our own upbringings and what that means for us personally. Mm, mm. Um, you know, it appears in our writings, our academic writings, our creative writings, yeah. our discussions that we have with people. So the idea that this particular film wants to take the side of the Monty Python boys and really push their point of view, saying, see, these guys were right, they were vilified maybe at the time, go for it. Mm. But you're right, I don't think they do it in the same spirit that the Monty Python boys were doing when they were doing Life of Brian to begin with. Yes. I think a lot of the gags that were actually presented in this film would not meet the standard of Monty Python. Exactly. And if Monty Python were in their heyday now, mm. you know, you know, in their 20s and 30s, young yeah, men yeah, yeah. making films now and could get away with saying more words and doing more visual gags yeah. now because we're in a more liberal society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still don't think they would go there. And I don't think so either. Again, John Cleese actually says in his book, mm. limit yourself to one Fuck. Yeah. Because if you say it constantly, it stops being funny. You drop that one F-bomb. Yes. And all of a sudden, it's contextually hilarious. Yeah, and it also depends who says it too. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Now, John Cleese was well known for being argumentative. Yes. And well known for being very difficult to work with on certain points. Yeah. But he was no Basil Fawlty. No, exactly. And you'd expect nothing less from a creative genius like John Cleese. That's it. I'm sorry, if you are that brilliant, be difficult, my friend. Yeah, that's it, that's it. <laughs> Says I, us who it doesn't have to work with him. That's it, that's <laughs> it. Of the Python crew, the only people I was really felt let down by was a Phil Nickel on Terry Gilliam. That was just because mm. they almost made him too childlike and dismissive. Yeah. He was always... I mean, and you see it now in the fact that he's the one that hates the idea of a Python reunion. Yes. Um, he's the one who's always trying to stop more Python stuff happening. He didn't want Spamalot happening. Right. He very much was always that little bit more, I'm the professional amongst idiots. Yes. Sort yeah. of thing. He loved what he did, don't get me yes. wrong, but he always felt, well, I've got a job back at MAD. He yeah. used to actually do comic strips for oh, Mag. Wow. Okay. That, that, that comic styling he has, he used to do Mag magazine. Yeah. And he always said, I've got a job back at Mad to walk to. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm the professional amongst idiots. Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe for him, because I don't know the guys as well mm, as you do. Mm. I haven't read about them or anything. No, no. But I wonder if he's the type of artist who, yeah, look, takes his job very seriously. Yeah. But maybe he's also now, speaking contemporarily, mm. I've done it. It's gone. Oh, and that's it. I've moved that's on, it. you know. I know a lot of the Pythons are still like that. Yeah. But, like, John Cleese for ages was like, we've done it. But even he hit a nostalgia stage of, come on, it's Python. We were mates. Yes. He still likes the fact that they're mates. Whereas uh, Terry Gilliam is cited to be usually the last one to get on board on things. Right. Last one to bother coming to the luncheon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Again, this is just stuff I've read about him, etc., Personally, obviously, neither of us know any of them personally. No. But this, again, brings me all the way around and back to, whilst the characters were written really well, it comes back to this controversy. The actual show itself, the irony is they were trying to be controversial and they were trying to make really rude gags and jokes and things. Right. When really the Pythons themselves, while they wanted to push boundaries... They never went to these sort of levels. Yes. This show was trying to show the nine the 1970s. Yeah. Right? And so, a lot of homophobic gags. Yes. A lot of 
sexist gags, a lot of gags against uh, mental health. Yeah, and a few racist gags in and there as well. And a few racist gags as well, yes. Yeah. Yet, this was made in 2011. Yes. Because everything felt a parody of itself, mm. it didn't feel like they were trying to set the mood of the 70s. Yes, there's homophobia. Yes, there's this. Yes, there's that. Mm. It made it feel like they were going, ooh, we're allowed to use all these jokes we're not allowed to write in 2011 uh, because it's 1979. Ooh. Yeah, spot on, Philip. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, the film in itself does present the Monty Python guys, you know, when they're in their own sort of meetings and things like that i don't know like were they really that vulgar to one another and around each other and things like that they could have been you know kind of boys club thing but do you really know that so Mm -hmm. and if you don't really know that are you just saying stuff so you want to you know yeah i don't know i just again feel like almost the way that they've presented this particular film is the same way that they've written it and gone on with the gags we can just sort of say anything now. Yeah, it, it feels like that, and it also feels like, for me, they've tried to do a later years Monty Python episode. Yeah. Like, if you watch their stuff on television hmm. versus the movies or the stuff they had at, uh, like, Live at the Hollywood Bowl. Right. The classic example, there's this one gag where they do... It's, they go to intermission, and then they have John Cleese walking around in a uh, female candy seller's right. uh, costume. Yeah, thing yeah. Or whatever, with the albatross. It's the albatross yeah. gag. Yes. And he's trying to flog off this albatross. Now, I've got a record of him live at Jury Lane, mm-hmm. where it's very, very clean. Yes. Then I have Live at the Hollywood Bowl, very, very vulgar. Okay. An example of that is the straight guy goes, do you get wafers with it in Jury Lane? He goes, of course you don't get wafers with it in Hollywood Bowl. Of course you don't get wafers with it, you fucking... <laughs> and it's like, let's off like three expletives in a row. Yeah. Now, they've been around a lot longer... They've got a different audience, a lot more rowdy audience. Yes. An American audience. Yeah. (laughs) It makes a bit more sense. But this whole show felt like they were trying to say, oh, yeah, this is what Python was all the time. So in terms of audience, who do you think Holy Flying Circus's audience is? Because I'm coming at it, yes, I do like the Monty Python team. I like them as a team and as individuals. As a kid, Eric Idle was actually the one that I mm, mm. was more aware of more than anything yep. else. So I actually knew of him as an individual yep. before as a Monty Python person. Yep. And then John Cleese, and then the rest just sort of followed. Followed, yep. So for me, I approach this more from a lover of film and cinema. Ooh, this is about a controversy. Mm, it's about mm. censorship. But I feel like that's not who this film was made for. It's not made for somebody who's coming into it, who wants an historical context. It can be funny. It can be Python-esque. Absolutely. But it wasn't made for me, really, was it? I actually disagree. Okay. And think it was made for you. Yes. And also made for Monty Python fans. So they've tried to go for two different groups. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is yes. they've missed the mark. They've definitely, in my opinion, have missed the mark with film buffs, film historians. I think it was there for them. Has it missed the mark for Monty Python and fans? And I think it's definitely missed the mark of Monty Python fans. Right. 
it's missed the mark for, um, I feel, a majority of Monty Python fans. Because I feel a majority, and this is going to be a very generalised statement, I do understand that. But a mm. lot of Monty Python fans are that little bit more nuanced to the humour. Yes. But you do have a lot of them, you know, that sort of just like the cheap gags. Yes. There's people who watch Life of Brian. And they watch the scene where he opens up the window and the crowd's there. Right. And there's those who absolutely love and adore the witticisms going back and forth. You're all different. You're all individuals. Yes, we're all individuals. I'm not. (laughs) I think that's hilarious. Yep. Myself included. And then there's people that find it hilarious that he's opened the window and he's just starkers. Yeah, but it plays to both types of humour. It plays both types you, of humour. You're not laughing at one, you're laughing at the other. If exactly. not both. If not both. Yeah. This, though, has gone, oh, Monty Python fans laugh at the naked body. Yeah, I... And that's it. I've... They've gone, you laugh, you like the vulgar. You yeah. don't get the witticism. And I feel like that this was essentially all vulgar. Yeah, that's it. And again, I'm fine with vulgar humour. I can show you my collection of films that are <laughs> nothing but vulgar humour. That's fine. But when you present a film that is wrapped up in a real-life controversy, and I don't care that you actually begin the film saying none of this is true, that in itself is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But you're presenting it as something significant, I think, for Monty Python yeah. fans. During the film, there was a point where I sort of went, oh, hang on, I think I know what they're doing. Because the whole thing is about controversy, so let's make it a controversial film in itself. Yeah. Problem is, they've come at it with people that are expecting the witticisms of Monty Python. The controversy they had wasn't because they showed tits on screen. Yeah. The controversy they had is because... They were creating not only a sense of humour that hadn't really been seen on screen before. We'd heard it with The Goon Show, but not seen on screen. But it was questioning things. It questioned, does God exist? Or Mm. even less to the point, does organised religion work? Yeah. Because, you know, blessed are the cheesemakers. You know, you could have misheard it. This film has gone... Oh no, controversy is controversy. Controversy is us saying rude words. So I did sort of sit at one point and go, oh, I get what they're trying to do. They're saying, mm. oh, see, this is controversial. So, you know, there should be nothing that's too controversial. However, I don't think that's in the spirit of Python. It's not that nothing is off limits. It's that what are you trying to say with your off limits stuff? And the other side is the irony I feel is Python's not about being controversial for controversial sake. Yeah. Yet this film is. Exactly. The Monty Python team are too clever. Yeah. And this film is not clever. It's not funny. It fails, I think, in almost every single department besides the casting. Mm-hmm. The casting is absolutely superb and spot on. The guys give amazing performances to Yeah. It. You know, it's not a total write-off. But I struggle to think, what was the point of this film? Yeah. Like, again, it's, it's made by fans. Fantastic. Tell us about it. Mm. If you love Monty Python so much and you love that humour, go and make your own show. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think I'm still, even now, having watched the film and discussing it with you, still really confused as to, I don't get the point. Yeah. Look, I personally get the point. Yeah. However, I think the point was missed. Yes. 
I think they were going for the more traditional mockumentary or documentary drama. Yeah. Um, I actually don't know the correct term, but it, it's those ones where it is it doesn't have the narrator. You are just reliving a true story. Yeah. So this one, I feel, is in the realm of dramatization. Yes. And mockumentary. Yes. So, for example, Borat is a mockumentary. Now, you see, I think it's closer to... It's a parody dramatisation. Yeah, it's a parody dramatisation. I think the, the biggest problem is that they've then tried to add a layer of satire and yeah. uh, surrealism on top of it, which, okay, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers is a satirical and heightened reality yeah. version of Peter Sellers' life. Yes. But you can go through that and check off things that actually happened in his life. So it is an actual documentation of his life. I feel like this film would have had a lot of things that did happen in oh, real yeah. life. Yes, parodied. But the problem with this is they've gone in it with the wrong bias, like you've said. Whereas Life and Death of Peter Sellers keeps it fairly unbiased. Yeah. Yes, they've got things in there like the fact that he didn't know who he was. Now, that could be seen as a biased thing, but it's also something that Peter said on a regular basis. Right. This takes it from, oh, we love Python, we love Monty Python, Pythons are, can't be wrong. Mm. Which, to be fair, after the debate, was a lot of people's belief that they had won, the Pythons had won, they were the good guys in this scenario. Yeah. But it still does not come off as a true documentary, as you say. I can see that was their goal. Yes. Their goal was to do something like Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Anything like that. They failed miserably. They've tried really hard to do so many things. Yeah. And I don't think that they've achieved any of them. That's Not it. to the extent Not that the they extent could they have needed. or should have. You know, as, as I've said, you're really interested in this. You love the Monty Python boys. Tell us about it. Yeah. You know, it. And you know what? You can still make it satirical. Yeah. But maybe instead of watching the Monty Python films as fans actually study and analyse their humour yeah. so you know then how to replicate it. The, the funny thing is, if they'd cut this back yes. and made it, like you've just said, less satirical, less comedy, yeah. and we'd seen true moments, we saw a little flex, but true moments of reality. Yes. True moments of, and right through the whole thing, where you don't have these over-the-top characters just swearing because they want to and or mm. throwing out racial or homophobic slurs. Yeah. It was well documented that John Cleese, at the start, was very wary of Graham Chapman. Almost felt betrayed by Graham Chapman coming out. Yeah, because? Uh, because, because of the times, because of how he was brought up, because yeah. he, Graham Chapman was a great friend. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's gay, and of course at that time that's a dangerous thing. But then that had changed, and it was actually he in his book. It's his their time in Ibiza, their time filming Life of Brian that actually changed a lot of that. Yeah, nothing there was changed. It was just yeah, that would actually be a really nice thing to touch port on. portray or yeah. analyze. And, yeah. and look again, this film does begin when Life of Brian has been put in the can, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not really about the production, it is about the controversy. But, but there's still something that could have been played there. Uh, Meanwhile, they the, just made cheap gay joke stabs. Yeah, because again, it's the easy thing to do. Yeah. So, Wayne, with all that... Yes. And we could possibly keep talking about this, but... Yeah. With all that... Yes. What are your final thoughts and score out of five? 
Well, again, I think that this film had so much potential. It was obviously made by fans. I think it was made for fans, more so than people who are interested in film history. Again, I have to congratulate the casting of Darren Boyd, Charles Edwards, even Steve Punt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think Spot On did really well, but that's the only positives for me. It tried to achieve a lot more than it did. The humour was forced. It felt like a parody of a parody of a parody. At very best, it was mildly amusing. One out of five for me. Philip? If you'd asked me the first, after the first time of watching this, or even after the second time watching this, I possibly would have given it a four out of five. Right. I have now realised that that four out of five only constitutes if I started watching it three quarters of the way into the film. It is that final quarter that I love. I agree. Putting the whole thing back together and then realising how cringy the humour is how off the mark they made it. It's not even, ironically, it's not about, oh, you offended me. It's about, you just didn't make a good joke. I would have to say, I will be generous in a two out of five. Yeah. And I will be legit at a one out of five. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, what's the actual score, Philip? Uh, Well, then, uh, yeah, I'd have to say then a one out of five as well. Okay, I'm surprised. I really didn't think that we were going to agree on this one when we were watching it. Mm. And I'm just going, "Mm mm-hmm, yep. (laughs) Yep, I go, Philip and I are going to argue because he's brought this to me and I'm like, mildly amusing at best. And you know what? I would have agreed before I'd started watching for the third time. I I, I was sitting there watching Guy and thinking, oh, Wayne's going to hate this because it's just so damn homophobic. Mm. And then after a while I'm going, I hate this because it's so damn homophobic. (laughs) Look, in context, I can always deal, for the record... John- oh, yeah, no, no, of course, of course. Yeah. For the record, um, you know, John Cleese himself apparently absolutely detested the film. Oh, there you go. Not hard to say why, yeah, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, unfortunately, this was a piece of shit. But <laughs> we're better for seeing it. Yeah, so yeah it. we're better for that's seeing it. it. So, Wayne, yes. what do we have in store next time? Well, next time, we actually have a documentary. Yeah. So I'm going to present a documentary that I find absolutely fascinating. The Imposter. Ooh, intrigue upon intrigue. Yes, I hope you'll love it as much as I do. With that all in mind, I've been a Philip Hunting. And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And And you've you've just just experienced experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. I'm not even on tune. Shut up, Philip. (laughs) And see.